For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.06 on today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. Our third to last show of the season, and tonight we'll be chatting with uh, Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Kahn. Uh, he's a, uh, a handbag maker. Uh, but more than that, he's, it's all about branding. It's all about, uh, and this, uh, as if you heard the ad, it's a lot of transitions because he's next generation, you know, they went from from a product, he went into branding and, and white label. Uh, so there's there's a great story to tell behind it. Hmm. But first, as usual, some entrepreneurial news of the week and a pretty nice investment from Harry Rosen, $15 million they're putting into their Montreal location. They are, this is, uh, you know, and we're going to come back, and I know this topic comes up over and over again, Dan, but it's that bricks, uh, you know, versus on, bricks and mortar versus online. Uh, they feel, you know, the, the article was interesting because they talked about the luxury market and the luxury market in Montreal. But they say there's not a huge luxury market in Montreal. And for Harry Rosen's take on it is that that's good for them because you don't have the Gucci's of the world that have their own store here. They they go in and they operate through other locations, whether it's a Holt Renfrew, whether it's a Harry Rosen. And that's where that's where the Harry Rosen's of the world say, hey, you know what? It's great. We don't have to compete with all these high, high luxury uh, retailers. They want to sell through us. So it even improves their branding and their store location. But naturally, it always comes back to the mix of online versus versus the, the, the in-store location, the bricks and mortar. And, and as, as Harry Rosen was saying in the article, it, basically they assume or they account that 70%, 70% of the people that walk through their store and buy something have already researched online elsewhere. But they're coming in because they're coming in for service. They're coming in to feel and touch the product because it's, you know, it's Harry Rosen, it's fashion. It's, uh, uh, there, there's no question on the quality of it. So they are purposing their stores so that there's a reason for people to come in. But there's also enough information online that they can check out and compare against the competitor before they walk through the door. Are high-end retailers like Harry Rosen a bit more isolated from the the issues that uh, sort of plague retailers because, you know, a lot of these high-end shops are such interesting destination points? I think they still have to manage overhead. Now, Harry Rosen is across the country. They have 17 stores and 1,000 employees and a few hundred million dollars of sales. So one location in and of itself is, is not necessarily going to make or break anything. But they still have to make the bottom line. They still have to ensure that their locations and their operations are efficient. They still, they, there's still a lot, a lot, a lot of competition out there. And this, this concept of disposable luxury, these disposable clothing, disposable watches, disposable, uh, anything that you, that people just say, you know what, it's a trend, it's a fashion. I'll spend a little less, uh, you know, I'll, I'll wear that shirt twice. It'll cost me 50 bucks instead of paying 500 bucks, but I'll get to buy 10 of them over the next couple of years or the next year. Uh, and I think that's, that's really where they have to fight against. So there's always, there's always a market for luxury. I mean, that's who we are. We, we, we talk about many products that, that somebody clings to an idea and they can sell it overpriced. There's always somebody that wants it, but uh, the competition is tough. And we talk about sort of uh, retailers taking things to the next level as well and offering different kinds of services. Um, I think, too, if we're in the same shopping category, uh, something like Club Monaco, which recently opened their their new flagship store downtown that has kind of like a coffee shop 
down there so you can you know have coffee while you while you while you browse the clothes we, we've said it we've said it time and time again people need a reason to walk into the store and usually other than just for the product. So is it because the company is, has, has a great level of social responsibility? Is it because they have you know, coffee and, and, and product that they can serve while, they're, while they're, their guests are shopping? Uh, is it because they have this, this, this uh, celebrity that's on site that people want to see? People want to have a reason. People need a reason to walk into the store more than just the average, I see a pair of socks, I want to go buy them. Uh, on to bread now, bread matters, and uh, I love, love a good bre- bread story. So this this bakery, Boulard... Well, now that Passover's over, it's good yes. to have a bread story. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Boulard, tell me about Boulard, and, and they're really sort of taking their model uh, to an industrial level. This story, you know, that I read really, really epitomizes what the entrepreneur is. Uh, the gentleman that, that owns, that runs Boulard, uh, he, he started off at Pain Doré. I mean, he started off other places, but, you know, he, his previous life was at Au Pain Doré, and he had much bigger ideas, but ideas that were too big for Opain Dore. So he wanted to create this high quality bread product, non-GMO, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's where we are today. And, but you need, when you're doing something really high quality in the food industry, it takes a lot of money. It's very capital intensive. If you want to do it, something that's scalable, if you want to, if you want to pump out 50,000 ciabatta breads you need that equipment to pump it out you're not having a a whole bunch of bakers there with a bunch of ovens uh, making everything by hand so it needed that capital intensive it needed that risk level and this gentleman that 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 opened up uh, Boulard it he just he, he just the story stood out to me because it epitomized the entrepreneur it epitomized taking the risk it epitomized taking somebody's passion and it was a great Montreal story because, you know, we all love our bread here. There's no question about it, uh, even though I'm trying to stay away from it. But it, it's, it's and, and then it's like it's not just the retailer. He's selling all over uh, North America. So, you know, you bake it, you flash freeze it, you send it. It's still a fresh product when you, when you uh, unflash freeze it or whatever the term is. But that is his passion, and that, that is what he wanted to create. He went away from his employer to go start his own with a risk. Of course, he had to knock on a whole bunch of doors to get his financing and money, uh, and that wasn't easy. But, but when he got it, it was uh, quite a story. This other uh, local success story, a guy named Max Clément out of Saint-Jérôme, uh, they, they, he makes a, it's a brand of watch called Conifer and he makes wood watches. Now he's been making them for a while, but decided that he needed a bit of a boost and turned to the internet for help. You know, Kickstarter, the Kickstarter programs, the, 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 all these type online crowdfunding, uh, sources, they, they basically, they're usually for startups. You know, I got a great idea. I got a great product. I'm going to invent the next best, uh, iWatch or the next best, uh, product, uh, whatever it might be. So come out and while we're developing, get onto the program, get into the story. You'll be the first in the world to get it. Uh, the reason I like this story is because he said, you know what, that's a great idea, but why, why only for startups? Why not? I'm a watchmaker. I want to, I want to take something new. I want to build use a different type of wood or a different type of mechanism. Uh, but I, I would love people to get involved. I would love, you know, I need some financing behind it so that I can, I can pump out this product. So I'm three, four years into the company. I want to have a new line. Let's go to Kickstarter. Let's go to the crowdfunding. Uh, I think it was just a, a, a brilliant thought and a different twist on using this great online source of funds 
in a very different way than most other people use it. And finally, we're seeing uh, more and more venture capital coming into Canada, which is a very good sign. Uh, is there a entrepreneurial resurgence? I think I, I think that I don't know if it's an entrepreneurial resurgence. I don't know if it's the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar. I don't know if it's a question of maybe we're getting a little better at the dog and pony shows when people are pitching. Uh, but eight hundred eighty-one million dollars raised in the first quarter first quarter of 2016 that eclipses all other quarters because if you just look at 2015 2014 the max was maybe five six hundred million in a given quarter and and it's a lot of different companies it's not one company that's getting it uh in the first quarter there were 103 different funding rounds that got it uh so i think in canada it's really more the smaller venture capital person uh i think there's still the niche in the states that if somebody needs 20 or 30 or 40 million dollars plus you're going to find it in the states not really going to find it in canada so i think it's the smaller ones but they're becoming so much more active that people are out there. They're looking for businesses to buy. We always say, you know, we're, we're sitting around the partner table in my office, there's always far more people looking to buy a business than there are looking to sell. Coming up, we'll chat with Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Con, And later in the program, we'll talk about branding on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.20 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And we welcome our guest this evening, Christopher Contogianis of Christopher Con, And they are a handbag maker. Chris, welcome to CJD. Thank you for having me, guys. It's nice to be here. No problem. So first question's the easiest. Tell us about uh, Christopher Con, about yourself and about the brand. Uh, Christopher Kahn, well, about the brand, uh, we make contemporary leather handbags. Um, very simple, timeless bags with a twist. And, um, you know, we've been doing this for 16 years now. We launched, uh, we launched the brand 16 years ago. And we felt there was a need, an important need for branding. We felt that there was certainly a shift from white label products, private label products. And, um, yeah, we've been going at it for 16 years now. And it's, uh, it's, it's certainly been exciting, you know, and very, very fun for me. Only, only handbags? Not only handbags. I mean, the category is probably our biggest category, but we also do wallets, travel bags, duffel bags, uh, for gym stuff, for you know, workout for girls and stuff like that. Yeah, we the product line is actually quite uh, quite vast. Now let's go back before Christopher Kahn. Yes, this is a company that was started by your father. That's correct. How long ago was that? Uh, 1978. So my math ain't so good, but, uh, (laughs) maybe you can help me with that, (laughs) but it's, it's been a long time. You know, my father started, uh, doing private label and that was really his strength. He had built probably the biggest manufacturing facility in all of North America, making the best possible products, higher end products, but it was for other customers. So we never really had our own label or our own brand to develop. Now, what, when did you get into the business? I've or when did in, you start? You probably you probably ate and lived and breathed it uh, growing up. Five years old. I'd wake up at five and go with dad to the factory on the weekends. And, you know, for me, it's so nostalgic. Like, I'll go into any room and the minute I smell leather, it takes me back to a very, very early time in my life. It's It's one of my favorite smells in the world. And I think in part because it was something that I had with my dad. And, um... But then I started working weekends more seriously at around the age of 12 or 13. Summers and weekends. No fun with the friends, <laughs> fun in the factory. And uh, 
I went in full time when I was 18 years old. Now, when you went in full time, was it really ground floor? Did you start in sales? Were you shipping? Like, where did you kind of what was what was the evolution of you kind of climbing your way to gain more responsibility? Well, you know, sometimes you hear about people who go in and they they sort of get groomed into taking a certain role in the company. For me, there was no grooming. For me, it was literally ground up. I was cleaning the bathrooms. I was mopping the floors. I was, I spent a couple of years in shipping production. I was there. I mean, I spent most of my time in production, but I really made my way around. I worked in the stock room for quite a long time. Was it, was it tough to gain the respect of your coworkers just because of your last name? Not really, because I have, um, I've always been a very open and loving and friendly person with everybody. And, you know, the majority of the people that worked for us, really, that was their career. So they knew me from the day I was born. I was always little Chris to them. Um, and so there was really never an issue about respect, because I think the most important thing was I respected everybody there. And so I think just by that alone, I gained respect from people also. Love your employee. Hug your employee. I like that. Let's, oh, let's do that. We hug, hug all the time. We still hug all the time. We still <laughs> hug all the time. You know, it's a very different working environment where we're at. Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Con join us uh, this evening on today's Entrepreneur. We'll talk about branding in a little bit. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. We're joined by Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Kahn. He is a handbag maker. And uh, Chris, this is uh, the branding thing is kind of interesting here because you came up with this with your brand, Christopher Kahn, within sort of the 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 larger family of uh, of your of your father's business, uh, which was a bit different. Can you tell us about the origins of your father's business and how you'd grow your own brand within it? Well. You know, when my father started, he was really a master technician, and I think that was his greatest gift. Aside of his very charming personality, um, he was just very talented in that area. He really understood construction very well. Like, he was almost an engineer at it. So um, he was product building. So he was in the private label business, product building for major, major retailers, the best retailers in the United States of America, in Canada, in Europe. Um, but then we sort of hit this, um, this period of time where private label didn't mean so much to people anymore. People wanted a branded product. And I remember my father always said, he knew when I was a little kid as well, if my son ever wants to come in the business, I got the perfect name, Christopher Kahn. And that, w- that would be the name we would use. And did he uh, decide that before you were born and then named you accordingly? No, no, he, <laughs> he decided that a little bit later on, but it was interesting that he had the intuition And I think there was a moment, a really pivotal moment where I just got up one day, I was in my chair, I was working and grinding it out. And I said, no, this is really what I want to do. And um, I certainly had an artistic uh, talent from very young and I knew how to draw and I had ideas that I wanted to share. And, you know, he really took a chance on me. He's running a business and here's this kid who's 21 and says, dad, I want to, I want to do this. And he basically said, then go and do it and show me. And that was really the birth 16 years ago was when we started to come up with the branded product. But it w- was it because you thought the private label, the white labeling was going to start turning downward? It's not because we thought it had already happened. We had already started noticing that, you know, it, it wasn't as important. So a lot of the bigger chains um, 
you know, the orders were coming in less frequently and the feedback was always, it's not as meaningful to a consumer anymore. They want branded products. So that was the moment where we knew we already were licensing another branded uh, a product at the time. And I felt like, you know what, I had a lot of things to say and I had a lot of things I wanted to do. And uh, that was the, the perfect moment. And it was great that it happened at that time because a year or two later, it was my brand that had slowly started taking off and was kind of helping the company to uh what's the very what's forward. the very first thing you want to build a brand mm-hmm. what is that first step you have to take before before anything else well you have to jump off a cliff really because it's it's a leap of faith and uh you have to have a point of view and uh i i think for me the the most interesting part was i was still so naive that I came in with a very fresh perspective. I wasn't in that part of the business for very long. So I came in with an idea of what I thought I wanted to see out there. And it happened to be different from what everyone else was doing. And that was sort of what really launched us at the beginning. We had an incredible first season because of that. Building a brand. There's a lot more behind it. Uh, It's not just about the front face. It's about the the right buying, the right design, uh, getting your product to to the store and to the shelf. And uh, we'll talk a lot more about that when we come back. More with Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Kahn in just a moment on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.36 on today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And our guest this evening is Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Kahn. He is a designer of handbags and other accessories. And uh, Chris, you, you're a very creative person, obviously, in a creative medium. Do you do, do some of your visions uh, ever just uh, never get to production? Or do you ever have sort of uh, uh, issues ma- making your vision into something that is that is eventually made a, into a handbag all the time it's never it's it's never a clear road you could start with something and it ends up to be completely something completely different and there's certainly been things that I was very very proud of worked really hard on and they were like complete disasters um, but you know a lot you learn a lot with those things and I think over time you have a good sense of what you know is going to work what's worked in the past not keep repeating what's what you've done and what you've won within the past, but at least take some of those key points and move them forward. And for others that are sort of in a creative medium, what advice would you have for them in terms of sort of getting right back on the horse and, and trying out something new? Because it could be discouraging if, if you know, your, your vision doesn't play out. Well, I think with every creative person, the ego is a very big part of um, the process. And, uh, I think one, one thing with me, maybe early on, I was, I felt very destroyed because it was a, like, it was a part of me that I was exposing. And if people didn't like it, I I felt like it it was me that they didn't like. Uh, but I learned very quickly that now it's, it's just constructive criticism. If it doesn't work, it's, it's really detrimental to me to get hung up on those types of things. You know, it can handicap you moving forward. So I take it with a grain of salt. I learn from it. And then I move on and being a creative person, you have to kind of understand that it's also a business. You can't just make, you have to be able to make it and sell it. It has to be a viable product. So you have to also have that part of it in the component, you know, is it a sellable product? Is it a marketable product? It could be beautiful, but art is beautiful and it hangs on a wall. You have to sell the product. So 
that's the balance that's been most challenging over the years. And not everybody's comfortable exposing themselves, so you know you got to get used to that, and and then move on from there. Now you're now you were you were doing white label. You talked about manufacturing, yes, and we were talking off air a little bit. And you've you went you're now importing. That is are, correct. Are you importing a hundred percent now? I'm importing a hundred percent. You used to manufacture a hundred percent. That is correct. When did that shift change, and how gradual was it? Well, the shift changed about nine years ago and the shift was not gradual at all we went all or nothing so we shipped one season completely domestic production and the following season we shipped the whole full collection completely imported so it was a huge learning curve for us it was very very scary but uh it was very necessary it had to be done and uh we took the necessary steps beforehand Knowing that this was the transition we were going to do, we couldn't go half half. We was had it a to dollar? Was nothing. it a dollars and cents thing? It was too expensive to manufacture. It was too cost effective to import. That is absolutely correct. because your customers, you you had to hit certain price points. Otherwise, you couldn't necessarily get that product out. Yeah, and the cost of production was just getting more and more expensive, and also the infrastructure wasn't there anymore. If a machine would break down, we'd have to wait two and a half, three weeks for a technician, and he'd start billing us when he left his office. And, you know, to change like a belt on a, on a sewing machine could end up costing you $600. So we didn't have the infrastructure around us anymore. The, the, the whole industry, the, the bottom fell out. There was no one really left. Uh, and then also, you know, the cost of production going up, price points of products coming down. We just, we just couldn't be competitive anymore. Now, you're importing from which country? China. Strictly. Strictly. Learning curve with China, quality assurance... Uh, maybe you can elaborate a little on that, how much you're on the ground there, you know, how much do your, you know, you, you send them the, your specs, the strike costs, you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked for you? Well, the learning curve was huge because it was, I had never worked this way before. I mean, we, we worked very organically before and uh, it had to be a lot more structured. We travel there anywhere between four and five times a year. So we are very present. And uh, I think it's important because I think, you know, our suppliers know that we're very, very loyal. We're very present. We're always on top of things. And uh, it's just the nature of the business changes. You have to, you really have to be monitoring things. You know, you're at a distance. I mean, they're an ocean away. So sometimes it's later nights. The emails are going back and forth at like midnight, but you got to do what you got to do. Is it tough to communicate a design? It's very hard. The like design, you have to use software using, what are you using to really, so that their machinery, their factories can pump out the exact same product that you designed that came out of your head. You know, with design, what's interesting about design is there's always that element of the hand and uh, that's something that at times can get lost. Uh, we do use software. I mean, we do send spec sheets uh, with uh, with CAD designs. I'm still very old school. Like, I still hand sketch my things. But, you know, I, I understand construction enough that I can explain things. Uh, you know, things don't always come out the way that you want them to. And I think that's the biggest issue is that the turnaround time on sampling takes so long. You know, you send out a spec. The bag comes in two weeks later. It's not really the way you wanted it. You have to make changes. You have to wait another couple of weeks. So, you know, when we had our factory, I could turn it around in a day. Oh, I don't like this handle. I could just make up a new one and take off the old one, put a new one on it and see how that works. So it's certainly was a, an adjustment, you know. And there's no question technology plays a role as well as you can kind of visualize something a little better when you can create it through whatever software or design system. Now, 
with with the advent of technology, you know, because every you know when people are thinking designs and where do you get your ideas from, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'll travel to Europe or I'll travel overseas and I'll get my my vision and my design. Is that what you do for inspiration? Where do you find your inspiration for your ideas of your next next product product and design uh i i work in a different way you know if i'm traveling to europe or doing things like that i think for me it's not really going to find designs for me it's more i my environment inspires me it's not any specific thing if i'm in new york i I have a different energy inside of me and it's all about the energy that you have um it's all about you know you have passion you change your environment and all of a sudden, you just have a different feeling in you, which will spark something. That in itself, I think, is very valuable. For everything else in terms of inspiration, you don't really have to travel as much anymore if you're talking strictly product because today everything is available at your fingertips. You can be anywhere in the world just on the internet. and You, you can, can follow trends online. Absolutely. You follow trends on Instagram. That's the biggest trendsetter today. Now, so you're also creating trends. I mean, you're you're you have a brand. You're creating product. What are you using? How are you using social media to get the name out there and your brand and your product? Well, we're you know we're, like everybody else. You know, we're we're certainly on Facebook and uh, we're on Instagram, and you know we try and create content that's relevant. Um, we try and create content that gives you a sense of a lifestyle. Um, and we, we try and be consistent with that, with the brand and, and, you know, who we really want to target. This is really where stuff has shifted today. You know, people today, you know, gen, the gen, the millennials are not really, they're not really reading print that much anymore. They're on, they're on Instagram. This is the most credible form of, you know, of advertising because the person who's showing you their lifestyle, so people want to buy into that. You know, oh, here's a 17 year old girl. She's traveling to Miami for the weekend. She's got her cute little purse with all of her like little cosmetics. And it could just be a lifestyle shot of her like overlooking like this beautiful ocean view. This is what people want to aspire to. So they attach themselves to that. And then the products that are around it help them kind of get closer to that world that they want to be living in. And of course, what a great segue, Dan, as we're going to talk about branding and social media uh, coming up after the break. Yep, online branding. We'll talk about Instagram and more with uh, Philippe Cousson, who's a branding director uh, business and business development director, but also deals with marketing issues over at Fuller Landau. So Philippe is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Coming up to 10 to 8 on Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. We have Christopher Contagianis in studio from Christopher Kahn. We'll have his one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur on the way. Uh, but first, Philippe Cousson has dropped by. He's the brand, uh, sorry, the business development director uh, at Fuller Landau. Here to talk about some branding issues, some marketing issues. And uh, Philippe, here we have a, a great example of a person who is a brand and, and how you can really, with just maybe chopping off a few letters... Uh, in in Chris's case, uh, you come up with a really catchy, memorable brand like Christopher Kahn. It's a great story, actually. Uh, well, I think some of the keywords of brand recognition and brand awareness, right? You want to build your own brand and build build your your uh, you want to build your brand and you want to build your 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 image to, to and tailor it to your uh, to your product and tailor it to your uh, end um, market, I guess. So. Uh, 
So there's, of course, there's, you know, there's brand recognition, there's brand awareness. I mean, we're talking social media, uh, you know, what, what, you know, there's so many things to be aware of uh, when you're, when you're launching, when you're, when you're building, when you're reinventing yourself, kind of what are the few things that come to mind, Philip? Well, to your point, uh, some studies say that 63% of luxury marketers say that uh, print and, uh, uh, well, actually social media will surpass print TV and loyalty programs. Uh, I think that was a, that's a key point here but I think uh, social media is your your second home page I think it's it's an extension of your brand and I think you need you need to use it accordingly and uh, some of the I guess best practices would, would be to, to stay uh, human be genuine in, in your approach with social media and use the, the different platforms and leverage those technologies and those uh, those influencers as well to, to, to make sure your brand actually uh, resonates with your audience so, I think uh, sometimes sometimes you know people are really concerned that you know they have to always reply to the comments, reply to the the online world, uh, you know, and, and have somebody dedicated so that they can they can always quickly answer a question mm-hmm. or you know, and and I don't know how. Uh, well, I think communication is important because I think the people who are reaching out to you, you know, if if they get a response back from you, I, I think it really resonates with them, and I think it's something that goes a lot further than we realize because they feel really a connection. There's someone at the other end of the line, and you know, a very important point is. You know, being someone who is a brand, having my name on a product, I never felt like I was bigger than the product. I was actually, I wanted to stay behind a little bit. And I really wanted, I wanted the success to be the product. And I wanted the success to be the the, the team. It was a team environment. It wasn't me alone. I had a lot of people involved in making certain things happen. So like you said, like the authenticity has to be there because today people can smell it. If it's a fake, they will smell through it in a second, and they'll know. And it could be a problem, a big problem. No, and and listen, you you your your head fit through the door when you walked into the studio, so it's <laughs> it's, it's a good sign. I have a that very very small head. Every my wife is listening; she knows I have the world's tiniest head, so I have no problem with that. And there's no question when you're talking online, social media, and branding, you also got to measure. I mean, there there's got to be some analytics. There's got to be some information that that you that you got to grasp. And it's not just about the genuine message, but it's monitoring it and seeing seeing what the response is. And when we come back after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about measuring what you what you put online. Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Con and Philippe Cousson uh, talking about branding uh, from Fuller Landau here on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.56 on today's Entrepreneur. We're joined by Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Kahn. His one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in just moments. But first, Ross, chatting with Philippe Cousson, uh, business development director at Fuller Landau, about uh, branding-related issues. And just before the break, uh, you know, we every, lots of people throw out this word with this word. It's called analytics, and it's really measuring your your online activity uh, and then some. So, Philippe, I know we were talking about branding. You're talking about social media. You're trying to get it out there. What about measuring it? What about the analytics analytics side of it? I think the most important um, um, element here is to actually you want to deliver the right message and the right content to the right people at the right time, and and, and you want to use data to actually do that. Um, there's some pl- pretty good platforms out there, new technologies that will actually do exactly that. They'll make sure that whatever you want to communicate to your actually and audience, uh, you'll deliver in it. You can actually automate the message, but you don't want to do that. You want to communicate genuine information, lifestyle, um, uh, yet you can actually automate and use uh, analytics to do so. 
Now, what about using influencers, using bloggers, using people that, you know, can reach so many other people? How, how, how would that fall into a strategy? I don't know if you're using that, but you should definitely consider doing that. But uh, just to give you an example, some bloggers in the States, actually, um, a, a girl called Wendy Nguyen actually uh, launched a YouTube video on how to tie a scarf, and she got 29 million views. Just, so just imagine if your brand is tied to that YouTube video. So it's actually great. Uh, it's a great way to actually sell your lifestyle approach and also your brand and the product itself. So. You no, know, we certainly have uh, we certainly have been doing that over the years. We've we've tied ourselves up with some very very influential bloggers, and you know when you talk about quantifying things, we've had bloggers post images of them wearing one of our items and like that item is sold out in two weeks mm -hmm. so we know it's there the thing that gets interesting with uh, with instagram for instance is you know once those people have start having like enough followers then there's a dollar amount attached to it so then you have to be much more picky depending on the size of your business where do you really want to put your dollars so we always try and keep it to where we want to find the up-and-comers we want to find the girls that have like great influence that still feel grassroots and on the ground level and we'll either do collaborations with them we'll stock them with product you're going to coachella next week let's get a bag on you get a couple of shots so we're trying to really really key in with the kind of girls that we want to see wearing our product and that's that's how we're doing it. It's you know it's making the most of your distribution channels almost you know your online distribution channels and finding the right person with the right message to really support that product. And and I know we can talk about branding and online for for forever in a day. But as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do every, each week, uh, we'll turn uh, we'll turn to Chris uh, Christopher Kahn and ask you, Chris, what would be your one piece of advice to today's entrepreneur? Um, be passionate. Uh, don't take no for an answer and just work really hard because that's what it is. It's, there's no shortcuts. You have to work very, very hard and you have to believe in what you're, that what you're doing is the right thing and be, be true to who you are as a person because otherwise you won't last very long. Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, Dan, my, my little takeaway, and it was it was very faint earlier on, but you kind of heard the, the importance of the team around him, the importance uh, of, of being collaborative and inclusive, and it's never just a one-person show. And I think Chris understands that very well. Even when your name is the brand. Even when your name is the brand. Uh, Christopher Contagianis of Christopher Con, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks to Philippe Cousson of Fuller Landau as well. And we're back next week, next Monday night here at 7 for today's Entrepreneur. The Exchange uh, filling in for me is Dan Spector tonight. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.